Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, uh, Pastor Wilson, and thank you, Evelyn. And I want to say it's a really, uh, it's a real joy and privilege to be able to be with you this morning. I have a Father's Day message that I want to share with us. But before I launch into the message, as we're here worshiping the Lord, it's so amazing that you know that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't matter which church that we go to. You know, as I'm standing here this morning, I just felt so much the pleasure of the Father, the presence of God in this place, you know, and I felt the Lord speak so clearly to me in Haggai chapter 2, where it says in verse 4, it says, Yet now be strong, Zerubbabel, says the Lord, and be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, says the Lord. I really believe God is speaking to this church, not just to the senior pastor, but to the laborers, the leadership, and to every member of this church. And the word of the Lord to you is this, work for I am with you, says the Lord of hosts. I really feel like this is the season of building for this church that you are in. And, you know, sometimes we think about work and we say, hey, we're already so tired, you know. You ask people, how are you doing? Oh, yeah, tired, la, tired, la. But I want to say this. The Bible tells us that when we take on the burden of the Lord, His burden is light, Amen. It is not burdensome. Burdensome. There is a grace, just as you are called grace. There is a grace for us to do the work of the Lord, and God adds to it. Amen. The Word of God tells us also that if the Lord does not build the house, those who labor, labor in vain. But I sense this, that the Lord is saying to you that I am with you, and that which you build, the Lord shall establish. And I want to just deliver this to the church and, and, you know, and, and ask you to uh, consider what the Lord is saying to you in this. I really believe the hand of the Lord is upon this congregation of people, and there are some amazing things that He has in store for the future of what you guys are called to do. Amen? I want to share this uh, weekend on Father's Day about the making of a father of faith, and I want to talk about Abraham. And Abraham is, of course, called the father of our faith, not just the father of the nation of Israel, but the father of us Christians, the father of our faith. And I want to examine some of the qualities that really elevated him and made him uh, to be qualified to be called the father of our faith. Abraham, of course, is a tremendous uh, man of God. His name is attached to the God that we serve, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. And he's, of course, the father of our faith. And what is it that distinguishes this man? What is it that made him to the, uh, different to the point whereby God would pick this man and through this man birth the nation of Israel and through us spiritual Israel? Amen. What I want to do this weekend is to point out some of these things about the life of Abraham that maybe we might have overlooked. You see, Abraham is a familiar character for us in the Word of God, and we all know something about Abraham. From Sunday school, we sing about Father Abraham. We remember Abraham is the one who uh, offered his son Isaac, you know, in Mount Moriah to the Lord. Amen. And we remember all these things, but I want to uh, point out some things that maybe we have not seen concerning Abraham. And I want, I want to bring an application to it for all of us, not just the fathers in this house, but the mothers, the young people, and also perhaps to this church, you know, in its macro setting. Amen. You see, the first thing I want to call, uh, call our attention to is that Abraham was a man who walked ahead of God. Okay, you might think that, what do you mean walk ahead of God? This sounds wrong because oftentimes as Christians, how many times have we not heard people say, hey, don't walk ahead of God. Don't trail behind Him. Amen. We're always thinking to ourselves, we want to walk side by side with God. Now, my intention is not to tell us that we should run ahead of God. 
My intention is not to tell us we should lag behind when God speaks to us. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But let me take some time to explain what I mean by the fact that Abraham was a man who walked ahead of God. And in order to understand this, we need to draw a comparison. It is amazing how much the scriptures doesn't just come in singular packages, but they're always parallels that are given to us. That's how God intends for his scriptures to be written, because on the basis of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. Amen? That's a spiritual principle. You see, the, and I wanna, the person I want to compare Abraham to is Noah because there are some vital similarities between the two men that causes us to have to examine their two lives in conjunction. For one thing, both men mark the beginning of a new generation. They're both fathers. In Noah's case, he was the beginning of a whole new generation of mankind after the flood. Amen? He's the father of us all because when God destroyed the earth, it was through Noah that he began to repopulate the earth again. And likewise, Abraham was also the beginning of a generation, the beginning of a nation. And therefore, he's also a father. So to bring two fathers together and to compare them is, uh, uh, is something that we need to consider. But at the same time, there are more similarities. In the times of Noah, we are aware of this, that Noah was confronted with judgment that would come upon the earth. God spoke to Noah and said, Noah, I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to judge the earth. At the same time, in the times of Abraham, the same thing occurred. The angel of the Lord, the Lord himself, comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And so there are these parallels that are there. What is very interesting for us that in the Bible is that it does not record for us that Noah in any way desisted when told that God was going to judge the earth. Amen. He did not say to God, no, 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 you cannot do this. In fact, the hallmark of Noah was that he fully obeyed God and he did everything according to what God had told him to do. You will see this repeated over and over again in the narrative of Noah's life. And this is a wonderful thing to have. But in the case of Abraham, I want to point out to us that there is a detailed account of his conversation with God that is given to us in Genesis in which there is this surprising exchange between God and Abraham. I believe that in this conversation, Abraham made one of the boldest, the most audacious statements ever made by a human person to God. In Genesis chapter 18, verse 25, Moses said this to God. He says, shall not the judge of the, all the earth do right? You know what he's saying? The statement that Abraham made was such a bold argument for mercy. It's almost bordering on that questioning, God, if you really are just, how can you do this? You see, now Abraham never, never lost reverence for God. But there is something in, in Abraham that when he heard that judgment was, com was coming, he was compelled to stand up and stand in the gap and to speak and to say, Lord, please, I want to intercede for these people. Of course, the whole, uh, the rest of Genesis chapter 18, much of that whole chapter then goes in and tells us about this bargaining process that began to happen between Abraham and the Lord. Now, in the account of the life of Noah, I want to assure you that there is no such exchange recorded. There is no such exchange recorded. Now, you and I, we need to understand this, that the Word of God is given to us and it is breathed by the Spirit of God to us. Amen. Everything is recorded to us because God intended for those things to be recorded. And if something is not said, there is a reason. Now, I want to show us a distinctive difference between Noah and Abraham 
in how the Spirit of God describes these two men. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it tells us that Noah was a just man. He was perfect, meaning he was blameless. He had integrity in his generation. And then it tells us this, Noah walked with God. Now, isn't that a wonderful description of a man? But in Genesis 17, 1, there is also a parallel description, this time of Abraham's walk with God. And it says this, the Lord said to Abraham, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Now, I want for us to understand something that is really important when it comes to scriptures. I want to say that this difference in description of Noah and Abraham's walk is not about semantics. The fact that different, uh, different words are being used is because there is an intentionality in how God wanted His Word to be expressed to us. When we read the Bible, you've got to understand this. We are not reading Shakespeare. We're not reading uh, Ernest Hemingway. We're not reading people who are just looking to beautify the, uh, the words that are being used, but there is an intentionality because God wants to communicate to us. My proposition to us is that when God used to describe these two men is distinctive about how he measures these men. Noah walked with God, but Abraham was told to walk before God. And I want to show you this little illustration. Now, again, I want to emphasize this. We are not nitpicking on the semantics. But I also want to explain this by giving us something that is relatable. You know, today's Father's Day. You know, I've, I've, I'm a father as well. I've got three natural sons of my own, and I've got a few other kids that are not my natural kids. All in all, currently in our family, we have seven uh, children. One has moved out, of course, already, but she still comes back quite often. Uh, one, we found a place for her to stay, but we're supporting her financially and all. Uh, but we love kids. Now, I want to describe something to you about my three boys. And the parents who are here, you will understand this. Now, I love my boys. They're most of the time amazing. Uh, some of the time, they're quite horrid. And uh, they're generally obedient. Now, when they were kids and they were little boys, what we would do as they reach a certain age, right, is that we would tell them, hey, boys, mom, dad, we're going out. I want you to do this. You know, make sure your beds are packed. You do this, you do this. When we come back home, we would check the instructions that we've given to the kids. And when they have obeyed us fully, we say, hey, good job, well done. And we reward them. But as they get older, we no longer tell them to do some of these things. We expect them to do their chores. We expect them to pack their beds. We don't have to leave instructions anymore because we expect them to do that. And then still, as they grow older, there is a point where they begin to do something that surprises us. Amen? Have you ever seen your kids as they become older and they begin to come to you and say to you, hey, Dad, you know, I feel like I want to do this for God. Or maybe they come and say, hey, I saw someone on the streets and they were struggling and I decided I was going to help them. Or perhaps they say to somebody, hey, I just walked by this person, I just felt a burden for this person, and I went up and shared something with this person. You see, when our children reach a stage of maturity, and out of their own volition, out of their own initiative, they begin to do something that is right, that they begin to do something that displays the values that we put inside of them, it pleases us far more than all before. It's wonderful that we are pleased when they obey us. They are pleased that when they do their household chores. But I tell you, some, nothing stirs the heart of parents when we see them begin to stand up for righteousness. We, when we begin to see them stand up for compassion. You see, this is the application I want to bring to us. This is what it means when it says that God spoke to Abraham and says, Walk thou before me 
and be blameless. You see, for too long as Christians, we begin to think that God is, you know, we're supposed to be robots. You know, God, you tell me I do. You don't tell me I don't do. Would you be pleased with your own child, if that's what it is, that you always have to tell them what to do? And this is the application for us. There's something about Abraham, whereby there is a passion in him that rises up. He hears about judgment and he says, no. He stands and rises in the gap and says, Lord, please have mercy. Think about the Apostle Paul who stood in the gap between his people, the Jewish people, and before the Lord. And he says, if it could be, let me be accursed and let them be saved. This is what God is looking for. Moses stood in the gap as well and says, please don't wipe out your people. If not, wipe me out, but let them live. There is something that God is looking for, for the fathers. And this is what distinguishes Abraham as a father. You see, there is a place for us to take the initiative and say, God, I'm going to do something. I really believe this. I really believe that God is calling this church to stand in the gap. Amen. I really believe that out of this church will come initiatives whereby you will see the need and your hearts will be burdened with a passion because you're so aligned yourself to who God is that you would rise up and say, hey, we will be the ones to meet the need. Amen. This is something that we need to understand about who Abraham is. He is our father. Can I say this as well? Can I say this? There is something about what fathering means is to give permission to our children. Amen. It's to make room for them. It's to teach them to say, hey, I don't have to always tell you what to do. I want to give room for you to imagine and to express your passion for what God has put inside of you. Amen. The second thing about Abraham as a father of our faith that we can glean from is the fact that Abraham gave priority to people. Genesis chapter 18 is a very interesting account in the life of Abraham, and there is something here that oftentimes we read in Genesis 18 that we overlook. So you, I want to encourage you, go back and read this for yourself so that you know that I'm not cooking this up, okay? But I want to give you a little bit of a, a quick background to this, okay? Because in Genesis 18, Abraham is in a place called Mamre, and he was in his tent, and the Bible tells us this, that God appears to him. Now, we don't know how long this was, but Abraham was having a face-to-face -face encounter with God. God came to him. God was encountering him. But in the midst of the encounter, the Bible tells us this, that he sees three men coming towards him, strangers, people he did not recognize. The narrative in the Scriptures gives us no indication that Abraham, at this point, knew that these three men were not ordinary men. It was only later on in the chapter that we realized that one of these three men is the Lord himself and while the other are two angelic beings. But at this point, Abraham doesn't know that. Instead, what he does is that in the midst of the face-to-face -face encounter with God, he leaves the encounter and he rushes out of his tent and he goes to these three men in order to show hospitality to them. The, because they lived in the wilderness, in the desert places, the expression of hospitality involves offering them water, washing their feet, refreshing them, and then, and then proceeding to give them an elaborate meal. Now, it might escape us, but let me tell you, in the days of Abraham, there is no microwave. There's no TV lunches or dinners that they just pop in the oven and then it's done. But it literally took hours in order to express that hospitality to these strangers now, it was only after the hospitality was extended then the Lord finally spoke and gave Abraham and Sarah the message that they will have a promised son. 
Now, there's something important we need to observe here, and that is the fact that Abraham understood that taking care of people is as spiritual as having an encounter with God. This is my point. He interrupted his encounter with God in his tent in order to serve the physical needs of the people around. Again, I don't want us to misunderstand what I'm saying. Okay? I'm not saying that serving people is more important than us spending time with God. Now, that's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we should exhaust ourselves serving people and then forget about our own personal walk with God. That's not how we're supposed to go about it. In fact, in the book of Acts, we are told this, that the apostles realized they were spending too much time serving people, so they raised up deacons to serve people so that they can dedicate themselves to word and to prayer. Likewise, when, you know, Martha was uh, over-serving, the Lord began to rebuke Martha and said, hey, you know, you need to understand what is the more important thing, and Mary has chosen that, which is to sit at the feet of Jesus. So I don't want us to misunderstand that. But what I want us to understand is that Abraham clearly understood the need to be hospitable and to be generous. And in this context, he was expressing this qualities to these strangers. Now, what happened is this, that an encounter with God became a ministry to men, and in the end, that ministry to men blended back into an encounter with God. Now, this is how Abraham did life, and it would be so wonderful if we can catch a glimpse of how life is to be done. His ministry to God and his ministry to men weave seamlessly into each other. You see, there is one thing my brothers and sisters, that we need to realize is that of all things that are created, there is only one being created in the image of God. And that is the one sitting beside you, in front of you, behind you. We are the only beings created to give a physical expression of who the Lord is. Amen? And when you realize that we are all created in the image of God, then how we treat one another is the closest physical expression of how we treat God. Matthew 25, verse 40 says this, Inasmuch as you did this to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. And Jesus was talking about visiting prisoners, refreshing the weary, going to those who are sick. When we do these things to people, it is as good as us doing to the Lord. I want to suggest this and I want to tell this to us that, hey, serving one another, being kind to one another is our expression, is a deeply spiritual expression of our love towards God because how can we love God that we have not seen when we cannot love our brothers and sisters whom we are able to observe around us all the time? All too often, we walk around with our eyes closed because we're so familiar. How many of you know the name? of the people that clean your offices every week? How many of you know the names of the one who is standing guard at the gate when you send your kids to school? How many of you know the one who's serving breakfast somewhere in the mornings that you go by every day and you purchase food from them? How many of you know them or are they just a passing feature that you have not even noticed? You see, that's what God is calling us to. God is calling us to open our eyes, and that's also a principal reason why God chose Abraham. Can you see this? It is not about the gifts of Abraham. It's not about the talent of Abraham. It's about this sense of passion and pursuing passion, and not only that, his eyes to look at the people that are around him, understanding that in seeing the people, he's seeing God. The third thing I want to bring to us is simply this, that Abraham trusted the Lord. Genesis chapter 22, verse 13 to verse 14, it says this, Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, 
And there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up to the bur- as a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide, as it is to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Now the word that the Lord will provide, of course, is a very uh, familiar name to us. It is Jehovah Jireh. And this is a very well-known account of Abraham's life, probably the most well-known account in his life, where he offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice in obedience to the Lord. Of course, in the last moment, God stopped Abraham and provided. Now, I want to look at this word called Jehovah Jireh, this name of the Lord, because there is something wonderful that is contained in this name that mostly Christians have overlooked. Most of us, we are so familiar with this name, we use it, but we really don't understand what this name means, okay? Now, when we think about Jehovah Jireh, we actually can look at it from several levels. In the lowest level, Christians take this name of God, Jehovah Jireh, and we treat God like our waiter, waiting on us to fulfill the wishes that we have, right? We treat Him as our emergency aid when we're, you know, we ignore God you know, all the time, until there is something that, oh no, emergency, then we turn to God and says, oh Lord, please help, please help. Then we call out to Him. Now, this might sound trite, and this might sound very condescending to the Almighty God, and I wanted to say this, it is. And if this is how we treat Jehovah Jireh, I want to encourage us to stop doing that. Amen? And I think all of us have been guilty of this at some point in our lives. We need to stop thinking that God is Father Christmas there with our wish list that we can bring to Him and He's just there to serve our needs and to serve us. God is not there to serve us. We are created to serve Him. Amen? Now, that's the lowest level. At the next level, we, we can come to a place where we become aware of God's unseen hand of provision in our lives. And I think that many Christians are at this place. We realize that the food that we have on our tables, the jobs that we hold, you know, the health, the breath in our heart. All these are given by God, the family that we uh, treasure. All these have come through the provision of God. We realize our limited strength. We come to an acknowledgement that it is not our own strength, but it is the grace of God. This is the provision of God. And I think that when we come to this point, we are, you know, we, we come to a place of, you know, moving a lot deeper in our walk with God. But can I say this, that even at this point, we are still understating the significance and the depth of the revelation of God as Jehovah Jireh. In Matthew chapter 6, the Bible, Jesus essentially tells us this, hey, God's going to take care of everything in our needs. Amen? He tells us not to worry about food, not to worry about clothing. He points us to the birds of the air, the lilies in the field. They neither sow, reap, gather, nor do they spin, and yet God provides for them splendidly. And if we only know God as that kind of a provider, And I want to say this, we're still at the level of animals because God provides for them as well. There is a far greater depth of Jehovah Jireh that God wants to bring us to. And to understand that, you've got to understand what the word Jireh means, okay? And the word Jireh essentially in its original Hebrew means this, to see or to foresee. In fact, this word Jireh is not often translated as provider, but most often it is translated as a seer, And it is the word that is used for the prophets in the Old Testament. You see, there's something about the way God sees. When God sees something, it means that He's not just looking at something visually, but instead it implies that God sees it and then He understands it fully. Not only does He understand and appreciate what's happening, He begins to associate 
with what he's seeing. When the Bible tells us that God saw the suffering of his people as slaves in Egypt, it means that God understood the broken dreams, the disappointments, and he felt the suffering of, the, of his own people. That's what seeing for God means. At the same time, God's seeing is not just the present or the past. God's seeing entails foresight. He doesn't just see what we're going through now, but he sees the future that he wants to bring for us. The best way for me to illustrate this is to turn two chapters back to Genesis chapter 16 in two verses, verse 11 to verse 12, where Hagar has an encounter with God. And in this encounter, there is a perfect illustration of what Jehovah Jireh is. I've done this up in a table. I want to show you this very quickly. In these two verses, it says this, Behold, you are with child. This is God speaking to Hagar. And, and what this means is that God sees her situation right now. You're pregnant. And then it says, And you shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Ishmael. And you see, God already knows, and he foresees. In those days, please, there's no ultrasound, okay? So there's no way they knew that this, uh, the baby is going to be a boy. But God foresees it, and he tells, Hey, you're going to have a son, and his name is going to be Ishmael. And then it goes back, and the Lord says, Because the Lord has heard your affliction, you know, and here's this, God has heard, God has experienced your pain. And then God goes on and foresees the nature and the future of Ishmael by saying, he shall be a wild man, his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him, and he shall dwell in the presence of his brethren. You see, on top of that, Jehovah Jireh doesn't stop there. Even as God sees, even as God foresees what's happening and coming ahead of us, in accordance to what he sees and foresees, he then goes ahead and makes provision for what he has foreseen. In the case of Hagar, God promises Hagar in verse 10. He says, Ishmael, his descendants shall multiply exceedingly. And inherent in that promise is, hey, he's saying to Hagar, Hagar, don't worry about your present situation. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to look after you. Not only that, I'm going to look after your child. And child will increase and multiply and the descendants will be numerous. I will give the child a future. This is what God does. You see, the encounter of, uh, of offering Isaac up to the, to, the, to the Lord. What happened here is that God, Abraham experienced God in such a profound way. He realized that this God that he served is not distant. He's not far away. He's not detached. But instead, he's a God who actually sees what we're going through. He feels and experiences the pain that we are going through. Is there anyone in this room today that you are experiencing pain and disappointment and struggling in some area of your life? I want to tell you, you have a God who sees. He is Jaira. He knows what you're going through. He feels what you're going through. You are not alone. And even if nobody understands this, there's a God who sees your pain and he has drawn close to you. And that's what Abraham experienced. But something else, as he offers up his Isaac, he begins to see God providing for him an alternate sacrifice. A ram is caught in the thicket and provision has come so that he does not need to sacrifice Isaac. But provision doesn't stop there. It's very interesting that immediately after this account in Genesis chapter 2, the Bible takes a strange tangent and it begins to talk about the genealogy of a man called Nahor. And Nahor is, of course, Abraham's brother. And sometimes you read the Bible, you're going to think, oh, the authors, you know, they must be ADHD, you know. They jump from topic to topic. There's no connection. What are they doing? 
But I'm telling you this, there is a coherence in the Word of God. The reason there is such an anticlimax from a climax of some great act of faith, Abraham offering a son, and then genealogy is such a mundane thing, right? There is a reason for this anticlimax, and the anticlimax is clear because suddenly the genealogy of Nahor's family is given because from Nahor will come Rebekah. And Rebekah will become the mother of Israel through her marriage to Isaac. And then through that will come Laban. And from Laban's family will come Rachel and Leah. And they will become the mothers of Israel. And to see what is being told to us is not mere genealogy. What the narrative is telling us is God is now moving ahead of the timetable and is beginning to provide for the future of Abraham and his promise. God is going ahead to prepare a future for Isaac, for Jacob. You see, I want to tell you this. When you give your hearts to the Lord and you come to the altar and you lay your life to the Lord, God sees what you're going through. God sees the sacrifice and He starts going ahead for your son, for your daughter, for your grandson, for your granddaughter. God begins to go ahead to provide. This is what Jehovah Jireh is. You see, when you know God as Jehovah Jireh, it isn't about God making provision for your daily needs. Hello? Sorry, my voice. <laughs> it's not about the chicken rice you're going to have after this. Whoa. Come on. It's not about that car that you need. It's not about the houses. Far more than that, let's not reduce God to a material realm. What a travesty for Christians to only understand and to know God at such a base level confining him to the carnality of the flesh and not understanding that God sees into all that is in your future and he's going ahead of you to prepare a way not just for you, for your children, for your children's children. God begins to orchestrate things in our lives because he sees us. When you're alone in that place crying, when you are struggling with uncertainty, the Almighty is in that same place watching your tears. When in the moment of your sacrifice, in the moment of your disappointment, in the moment of your pain, and you turn to the Lord and says, Lord, it doesn't matter. I lay my life down to you. You plunge that knife into the Isaac of your life. And God says, I'll take that sacrifice and I will show you I am the Lord who sees, foresees, and who goes ahead to provide for you. That is Jehovah Jireh. Amen. You see, God begins to orchestrate even in the midst of our ignorance. I want to encourage us, church, today, my brothers and my sisters, this is what it means to be a father of faith. Of course, today's Father's Day, but I want to assure you that this message is not restricted to fathers only. But to all the mothers, to the young men, the young women who are sitting in this place, God wants to come to us. God wants to give us permission to begin to dream dreams for Him. You know, I believe that grace is going to be a place where God's going to fulfill dreams. I know the senior pastor's heart. I know the largeness of his heart. In fact, there is a name in the Word of God that is, that is synonymous to the heart, the largeness of heart that God has given to this man, and it is Rehoboth, the well that Isaac dug. And God makes room. God is going to make room in this place 
for people. There are people who will sense the God, the call of God, not just for full time, but in the marketplace that will come and you'll find room to grow. You'll find permission to resource you and to pray for you so that you can fulfill what God's calling you to do. I really believe that this is going to be a tremendous place of incubation because there are fathers and mothers in this house. And fathers gives permission. Fathers give fuel to the dreams. That's what Abraham is. That's why God said to Abraham, you will be the father of my people. Because he knows how to stand in the gap and to lay his life down for people. But not only that, this church is going to be resourced by the Lord. You know, I want to bring this to a close, and I know it's Father's Day, but you know, life's problem observes no uh, timetable. doesn't matter if it's Christmas. doesn't matter if it's Chinese New Year. When the problems of life comes, it comes, right? They are not polite. They don't say, oh, Christmas, I don't disturb you. Uh, then you have a day off. Problems don't do that, okay? I know, and there is one certainty about life. It doesn't matter what station of life that you are in. Problems will always come. And some of us carry anxiety. Some of us are at a crossroad, and we are in our own Mount Moriah, and the Lord wants to show up, and He wants to tell us that He's Jehovah Jireh. Some of us, we are struggling in our lives, and we don't know what the future holds. But today, I want to say this to you, that God sees. God is in this place. Not just in this place, but God is in the place of your secret closets. God is in the place of your hearts. His ears have heard your cries. His eyes have seen you. I want to close by sharing this story that really impacted me during our church camp. I was with one of the speakers in our church camp and I was talking to him about prayer because I feel the stirring in my heart about prayer. Is, will you teach me what it means to lead prayer? Will you teach me what is it to mobilize people to prayer? And this man shared a story about one of his friends and they had a group praying for children that are trafficked because they have a burden for that. And so they came together every week and prayed for child trafficking issues and they prayed week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. And for many years they prayed, but because they were not directly involved in the work of child trafficking or rescuing children from child trafficking, they kind of never knew whether you know, their prayers did it work. They don't know. And after a while, this man became very discouraged and he began to say to the Lord, Lord, I'm so discouraged. I don't think I want to continue in this ministry that you've given me to pray for children that are trafficked. And it was in this time that he had an experience in the Lord and he was caught up into heaven. And when he was in heaven, he met Enoch. And most of you know Enoch, where the Bible says this, that he walked with God. He pleased God so much that he was not. He's the type of the rapture. He's the first man recorded for us in scriptures that was raptured to be with the Lord. And Enoch had this 20, 30 kids around him and this man said, who are these children around you? And Enoch said to him that these are the children that were raptured through your prayers. That literally there were children that were rescued out of child trafficking supernaturally and brought into heaven, into the presence of the Father because of their prayer. And this man came back with this message and Chris said this to me, the speaker said this to me, he says, Lip, if only my people would understand. He said, God said to him, if only my people would understand how effective their prayers are, my people would be praying far more. But because sometimes we don't see the effects of our prayer, we get discouraged. Jesus said concerning prayer, he talked about prayer and at the end of it, he said this, but when I come, will I find faith? 
But here I, am I today to tell you this. I don't know who is sitting in this crowd, who needs to hear this, but I know there are people that need to hear this, that God is saying to you, I have heard your prayers. Don't give up. And God's seeing means that He's experienced all that you've gone through. I want to invite us to stand to our feet and I want to pray for us. Amen. I always believe that a great service has two parts. There's one part that goes to God and there's one part that goes to people. And we need to do both. When we come and we worship the Lord, we're giving to Him what goes to Him. Amen. I want to encourage you, church, my brothers, my sisters, the service here starts in July at 8.45. Come five minutes, ten minutes before 8.45. Or maybe earlier, grab your breakfast and your coffee. Because there's something in the body of Christ that happens in the church that I come from as well. People like to skip worship. But I'm telling you this, that part is not yours, that part is His. You come, you give Him what belongs to Him. Amen. But there is a part then that belongs to us where God comes and His Spirit begins to minister to us. His Spirit begins to work in us. You know, this is a Spirit-filled, tongue-speaking, demon-casting, Bible-believing church. Am I not wrong? Amen. I know this. I can sense the working and the moving of the Spirit of God in this church. And the Holy Spirit right now wants to come to us. Some of us, there is, He's going to give a deposit and a seal to say, I've heard your prayers. I'm going to answer your prayers. Don't give up. Some of you, God, your God is calling you to a, you're in a place of decision and you think, should I do this? Should I not do that? And you struggle with laying your Isaacs before the Lord. And the Lord says, will you trust me? For I am Jehovah Shireh. There are others, you know, we have been perhaps bound and shackled by convention. Our hearts are moved with such passion for the things of God. I want to release you today and may the Lord speak to you to say, hey, move upon thy passion. I, I want to ask us just to close our eyes and bow our heads today. If there are people in this place, you hear the name Jehovah Jireh and you know that you need to experience God in a personal way as your Jehovah Jireh. All over this place, every head bowed, every eye closed. Would you lift up your hands right now? And I want to pray for you. Just lift up your hands to the Lord. I want to say this. You're not responding to me. You're not making me feel good or anything. I'm asking you to respond to God because I'm telling you every time the Word of God is being preached, every time something is being done, there must be an accompanying act of faith. You see, salvation doesn't come when we believe in our hearts. The Bible tells us we believe in our hearts. We confess with our lips. There has to be an accompanying confession, an act Upon that faith, and then is there a release? The same thing it is when you hear the preaching of God's word. Why do we ask for a response? Because it's the response that delivers, that brings that transition, that delivery into what God is doing and what God is saying. I want to challenge you if you need to know Him as Jehovah Jireh, lift up your hands right now. And God is going to visit you. The Bible tells us that God heard the voice of His people crying. And the Lord said to Moses, I have visited my people and I have heard their cries. I believe God wants to visit us today. God wants to visit you. Father, you see every hand lifted to you in the name of Jesus. Could be a child that's wandering far from you. Could be a loved one that does not know you yet. Maybe something in your business that's collapsing. Maybe there are things where you are struggling with a person, a situation. God, you see every need in one single glance, Lord. And you know every pain in one single moment. For you are Jehovah Jireh. 
But God, I thank you that you're not stopping there, but you are already at this very moment setting into motion. I say it in the name of Jesus. I declare this right now in the name of Jesus, the Son of God. And God is setting in motion right now in your lives. Jehovah Jireh, His supernatural provision for your future. You see, Jesus saw, God saw, saw our need. And in His ultimate act of provision, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, us. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. I just have, I just want to take one more minute right now, every eye closed, every head bowed. If there are people in this place today, you do not know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. If there are people in this place, you have diverted, you have been distracted, you have been derailed in your walk with God and you know that there is a gap between you and the Father. On Father's Day, this weekend, it is time for you to come back to the Lord. Wherever you are, every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around. Is there anyone? Because God has provided His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you know you're far away from the Lord, there's nobody looking around, I want to ask you to right now, quickly, because time is running out, to reach out your right hand as high as you can. And when I see that hand, I'll pray for you. Is there anyone at all? Just right now, lift up your hands as high as you can. And thank you very much. Is there anybody else? Just lift up your hands as high as you can. I see that hand. I will pray for you. Is there anyone else? The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your hearts. God is in a place of visiting us and encountering us. Is there anyone else? Just lift up your hands as high as you can. Is there anybody else? And put it up. Keep your hands up so that I know, I know. Is there anybody else? Father, I thank you, Lord, for the hands that are lifted up, Lord, who are drawing near to you, Lord. Father, your desire is not for us to be far away. But I thank you, Lord. It always says that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us, Lord. That the Father runs to every child that is returning back to him. Father, I pray your blessings upon this congregation for every need that is here, Lord. You're able to supply abundantly and meet them beyond our wildest imagination, Lord. Bless my brothers and my sisters, Lord. We give you praise. We give you all the glory, honor. We ask this all in Jesus' name and everybody say, Amen. Come on, let's give it, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, let's declare. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. Who you are? Who you are?